Our gospel reading this morning brings us to the threshold of the Holy of Holies. Throughout the gospels, we're told that Jesus frequently slipped away from the crowds to pray. But very rarely are we given a chance to actually hear the content of his prayers. There's just a limited number of times that we get that in the gospels. One such instance, maybe the most famous, is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Another well-known instance is his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Yet, it's arguably John chapter 17 that is the pinnacle of all Jesus' prayers. It's the so-called high priestly prayer. And it's the moment where we are given in the Gospels the most detailed account of what it is that Jesus would have prayed when he was alone. Father, he says, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. To contemplate John 17 is to enter into the Holy of Holies. <laughs> it is to come face to face with the unique splendor and majesty and beauty and glory of the Holy Trinity. It's as if in this prayer, the curtain is pulled back and we are allowed to listen in on the conversation that is going on at the very heart of God's own life. A conversation between the unbegotten Father and the eternally begotten Son of the Father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. At the center of God's wonderful creation of the world stands the creation of humanity, made in God's image. And at the center of all of human history stands the life of a single human being, Jesus of Nazareth. And at the center of that single human life stands the hour of his death and resurrection. And at the center of that momentous hour, we are being told, stands the splendor of God's inner Trinitarian glory. Father, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Jesus' prayer from start to finish is animated by a persistent passion that his followers and through them the whole entire world would see the inner beauty of Jesus' relationship with the Father. That's why eternal life is defined the way it is in verse 3, as an intimate knowledge and acquaintance with the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Eternal life is not just knowing God the Father or God the Son whom he sent. It is knowing both together in the inner dynamism and life and joy of the eternal relationship. In other words, to know God who gives life to the world, who sustains the world, who protects the world, who loves and redeems the world, to know that God is to be drawn into the dynamics of an eternal father-son relationship where there is mutual joy and rest, and harmony, and intimacy, and attention, and affirmation, and belonging. Throughout the Gospel of John, we are told that the whole course of Jesus' earthly life is one sustained answer to Moses' prayer in Mount Sinai. God, show me your glory. He only says what the Father says. So every word Jesus speaks reverberates with the inner character of the Father's love. He only does what the Father does. 
So every action exudes the inner quality of the Father's compassion for the world. To see Jesus is to see the glory of the living God unveiled in a human face, in human words, in human touch, in human action. It is to see the visible splendor of the eternal God unveiled before the human eye. That is why Jesus prays at the beginning of this prayer, Father, glorify me. Because he knows that his glory is simply the expression of the Father's glory. We're told in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. In John chapter 17, verse 5, Jesus prays, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And then later on in the prayer, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, my disciples, may be with me where I am to see the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. See, before the foundation of the world, before any of us ever breathed the breath of life, there was a glory that existed. The glory of a perfect, mutual, relational love between the Father and the Son in the unity of the Holy Spirit. A ceaseless, perfect, unending life. The question I've been asking myself this week. How does Jesus' prayer revitalize our hearts and minds amidst a global pandemic? And I think the first thing it does is it simply reminds us of a glory that pre-existed the pandemic. Of a glory that is not threatened by the pandemic. And of a glory that will outlast the pandemic. And the second thing it does is it reminds us that the true nature of glory, whether it's divine or human glory, is not found in the grabbing and the getting for one's own gain, but it's found in giving for the gain of another. It's no mistake that in a prayer where Jesus uses the word glory or glorify some eight times in a single prayer, he also uses the word give or gift or gave 16 times in that prayer. It's as if he's saying, if you want to understand the true nature of glory, you must pay double attention to the true nature of giving. Glory is expressed in giving for God and for human creatures. Of the some 10 times that the language of giving occurs in the particular passage that we're looking at this morning, nine of those times refer to the Father giving something to the Son. So, Verse 2, the Father has given the Son authority over all flesh. Verse 4, the Father has given the Son work to do. Verse 8, the Father has given the Son words to speak. Verse 7, the Father has given everything to the Son, including his own name, verse 11, and his own people, verse 2, 6, and 9. And amidst all this giving of the Father to the Son, Jesus himself tells us that he gives only one thing. He gives only one thing, and that's eternal life. So the picture that we're getting is marvelous here. All the extravagance of the Father's generosity towards the Son overflows in one almighty and generous and unprecedented act of love. 
The Son gives eternal life to all whom the Father has given. I mean, brothers and sisters, we are living in a world that is telling us that we have to grab and get for our own gain. That that's the name of the game or that that's the only way you're going to stay safe in the game. And we are encountering here one whose glory is expressed in giving for the gain of others. Jesus puts it this way in verse 26. O righteous Father, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. I honestly don't know if there's any more comforting and ennobling verse in all of Holy Scripture. <laughs> I mean, this is an astonishing thing for Jesus to say. Jesus loves you and me a whole lot. And he loves you and me with all the love with which the Father loves him, which is a whole lot. There is no deeper reality in life. Because there's nothing deeper than the love that the Father has had for the Son before the foundation of the world. And I'm not speaking here as a pastor who just has his head stuck in the sand. <laughs> I've been around the last few months. I know the heartache. And I've heard the stories. I've seen the grief and the anger and the fear. I felt the, uh, the anxiety and the uncertainty myself. And I've watched as the tensions of our culture have rised and as people have been pushed to the breaking point. See, Jesus understands what it's like to be at that place because he is praying this prayer the night of his betrayal. He is praying this prayer after having told his disciples that one of you is going to betray me and one of you is going to deny me and all of you are going to abandon me. Jesus is praying this prayer before he receives false accusations from the crowds that once hailed him as king. Before he becomes the, gets the short end of the stick of political corruption and expediency. Before he is mocked and he is tortured and he is crucified to breathe his last living breaths on a Roman cross. See, Jesus knows what it's like to live in the real world. So when he speaks of the Father's love, he is not speaking of some vague sentimental reality that's untouched, out of touch with what we know. He is speaking of something that is so deep it holds true in every circumstance. That is so deep that is the defining reality of every season. Thomas Aquinas once said that love has two aspects to it. First, it seeks the good of another person. And second, it seeks to be united with that other. It seeks the good and it seeks to be united. I mean, John 3.16 is a classic example of the first. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, seeking the good of another. But the second aspect of love, the unity or the union aspect seems to be something that when you read through Jesus' prayer is particularly heavy on his heart in his final moments with his disciples. He knows that the days ahead for his disciples are going to be a serious trial, that there's going to be lots of burdens ahead. There's going to be lots of things that threaten to divide them. 
there are going to be lots of things that threaten to pull them apart and, and, and dishearten them. And Jesus cares that his disciples remain united in love. So he says in verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name in the days ahead, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That's an astonishing claim. <laughs> and, and he goes on to say a similar thing in verses 22 and 23. He says, the glory that you've given me, Father, I have given to them. I think that's the glory of being loved. That they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfectly one. And here it is. Here's the missional dynamic of oneness. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Brothers and sisters, think about that. <laughs> so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me, like the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, loving his people as he loves his own eternal son. And that somehow the way in which we live in unity, in a common life, in a corporate solidarity, is meant to display the magnificence and the magnitude of that love to the world. My brothers and sisters, I must say, well, first of all, that this is, this is profound stuff. I mean, this is just reaching right into the heart of God. And where else do you want to be right now than, other than in the heart of God? And I must say that I am a bit troubled by the many divisions that are holding sway in our country right now. At the beginning of this pandemic, many spoke of how this virus had potential to level the playing field, <laughs> so to speak, and unite us in a common experience and purpose, potentially. And now, a few months in, we're more divided than ever. Whether one wears a mask or not has become a divisive issue. What one thinks of stay-at-home orders has become a divisive issue. When one decides to open their church has become a divisive issue. You name it, and the list goes on. I think what Jesus is, is unveiling to us this morning is that his heartbeat for his people is that they would not be an echo of the divisions of the culture around them. That they would have a unity that is rooted in the unity of the Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for the Father. And that they would display to the world a different way of relating, a different way of being human, a different way of being a community in the world. As we plan for multiple phases of a process of reopening in the months ahead, and, and I don't know exactly when that's going to be. There's lots of factors, but you'll know when I know. I think it's safe to say that the days ahead are going to call for a lot of patience and a lot of graciousness and a lot of gentleness and a lot of compassion in the way we relate to each other, especially if it's if we are going to try to relate in such a way that it all reflects the way in which the father and the son relate to each other to the world. It's going to require like lots of listening and understanding. Lots of courage and wisdom. Lots of creativity and generosity. But it's this, it's this marvelous moment. It's this marvelous moment we're being presented with. 
to cultivate the very virtues and the very values that are at the heart of the life of God, <laughs> that are at the heart of the relationship of the Father and the Son, to build trust in an age of distrust, to seek the good of another in the age of seeking one's own personal protection again, to be a non-anxious, faithful presence in the world. So would you take a moment to wonder and imagine with me? <laughs> what would it look like in this time to bless others as the Father has blessed the Son and as the Son has blessed us? Whether they're like-minded or not, what would it look like? What would it look like to pursue unity of heart and mind and action in our church family? In our neighborhoods, in our places of work? What would it look like to invest in the interest of others' lives? What would it look like to position ourselves for creativity and generosity in the days ahead? See, we live in a culture where many have believed that unlimited freedom of choice is what it means to be human. But what have we told the world? What have we showed the world? That real freedom is the ability to choose love. I wonder what that would look like. And I'm so thankful that next week is Pentecost. Because if any of this is to come true, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Pour out the gifts of your spirit upon your church today. Pour out all the gifts of your spirit upon your church today. Because we need everything that you have to offer us in order to be everything that you want us to be for the world today. So come, Holy Spirit, come. And fill us with all the power that you have for us. And fill us with all the character that Jesus has. And fill us with all the love that the Father has for us. That we may be your people in the world. My brothers and sisters, it is such a joy to be on this journey with you. I speak these things to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.